please turn to Acts chapter 12. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Now when they were When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So... When he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so, so they said, it's his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, go, tell these things to James and to the brethren, and he departed and went to another place. Then, As soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So, on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. 
And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Well, boys and girls, this message is important for you, not just for the uh, adults here. Because you're never too young to learn to pray. You're never too old to need to stop. You're never too good so that you don't need to carry on praying. And you're never so bad that you're not welcome to just come again with your sorrow and sadness at your sin and come back to Christ Come back to the cross and ask for his forgiveness again. You're never so strong that you can get through a day without prayer. And you're never so weak that you can't just cry out to God for his grace and trust that he will help you in the most difficult situations. You can bring your sin when you come to pray and you can say to the Lord, please forgive me. And you can even bring your unbelief when you're not quite sure and you can say to the Lord, Lord, I do believe, but please help me to believe for today. And this message today is not just about our praying privately, nor in our families every day, which is so crucial to ensure that our Christian families stay together, but it's about prayer meetings And I was going to write, don't miss the church prayer meetings, but because we're in the teams in our UBM and some YLers here, I don't want us to miss any of our prayer meetings, so I've just called it, don't miss the prayer meetings. And there are some reasons which, some things that happen in our lives, aren't there, that make us more desperate to pray. And that is what happened here. We need to go to prayer meetings to learn three things. And I'm going to bring them to you from the passage that we have here in chapter 12. And the first is that we need to go to our prayer meetings to learn to pray earnestly together. And we might say, well, why is that? And the reason here is because the Christians were being persecuted And this erupted inside them an anxiety and a concern. One of them had been killed already. And because the government thought this was pleasing to the crowd, they proceeded to arrest Peter. And what could the church do? It was an anxious time for the church. And instead of them becoming depressed and scattering and running away, they knew they needed to get together and pray earnestly. They were desperate. And uh, this sense of desperation is often brought about when we hear about persecution. We know at the moment that one third of all the people that lived in Syria are now refugees. But what we may not gather is that the first people that had to rush out of Syria and get an escape were the Christians. Why? Why? Because the people that came in, many of them were jihadists 
And the government didn't like them either and they were like squeezed between the two and they had to escape. And we know Christians who are in Syria and we know Christians in Liverpool who are from Syria who are so anxious about their own families there. The same is true in Egypt but it is also true in North Korea and it is becoming true in the West, isn't it? that there are things which are making us anxious. What do we do? And the answer is, we go and we pray earnestly. But isn't it sad that it takes persecution to make us pray earnestly when you go out every day into a battlefield, not onto a playground? You're going out into the world and the Lord wants, the the, uh, God of this world, Satan, he wants to get you. And the way he wants to get you is by presenting you with the most subtle temptations uh, and, and to slowly undermine our Christian vigor and vitality. We ought to go and learn to pray earnestly all the time. But here we see a specific situation that Christians were persecuted. But the second thing that we learn from this passage in verses 2 to 4 is that the Christians are utterly powerless to do anything about it. Do you know anything about people who are being persecuted? I've got friends in Nigeria. They've gone off to church today, to their various churches, and today is the day that the Muslims in Nigeria set up roadblocks on the roads away from churches, and uh, if, if it takes their whim. And as Christians come away, they, all kinds of things can happen to them. Tires put round their neck filled with petrol, hacked to pieces just mercilessly at the side of the road because it's evident they're coming from churches. And the Christians are just powerless, aren't they? It says because it, uh, it made the Jews happy, he just proceeded to arrest Peter as well. The Christians went about their ordinary business. They were utterly powerless. They had no political clout, did they? And so they were just powerless. They just wanted to live in all godliness and honesty in the community, but they were hated and harassed by the government, and the outcome was this sense of utter powerlessness, but it made them go to the prayer meeting. And in the prayer meeting, in their sense of powerlessness, they prayed. And that's the third point here, that Christians are prayerful. Christians pray. The very first act of a Christian, if you like, as he begins to believe, is he begins to tell the Lord he's a sinner and needs a saviour. Behold, he prays. That's Paul, isn't it? Well, Saul He's begun to pray. People who are desperate, pray. And here we see, you know, prayerlessness is pride. Have you ever thought about that? Prayerlessness is pride because what it's saying is this. I can do it without you, Lord, today. I can face any strategy of Satan. I can go into the world and I can get through the day without asking you for help. The resources are inside me. It's not only uh, pride when we don't pray, it's presumption. We're actually saying, I will get through without you. Have you heard of a lead balloon? (laughs) 
You know, most believers think they're gliders or they've got an engine on the front and if it runs out of fuel, they'll sort of glide. But you need to start thinking of your Christian life as a lead balloon that as soon as it's not being carried forward, it will drop like a stone and it will go down immediately and perhaps catastrophically. Prayerlessness is a terrible thing. And we have an advocate. Why did Christ come? To give us access to God. If we regard iniquity in our heart, he won't hear us. But Christ comes to deal with that problem so that we have access through the cross, through what he did there, dying for us, so that we can come and talk to God. That's why Christ died so that we are no longer alienated, but reconciled and we can actually speak to God and know that he cares about us, that he would comfort us and cleanse us and restore us and guide us and keep us right through, strengthening us to persevere like some of our godly older folk who are here today who've been so long uh, walking with the Lord. So we need to go But the emphasis in the first part is they didn't know what else to do. What else could they do? And the answer is they knew they must go, not send a petition to the government, but send a petition to God. And so they sent their petition to God. They all gathered together. They signed it at the end with a big amen. And just in case he didn't get the first edition of it, they sent it again with another amen signed at the bottom. And they kept sending it until the answer came. Go to your prayer meetings and pray earnestly, earnestly, with a pure heart, fervently, we're told to love But we are meant to pray in the same way. Have you ever been to, uh, have, have you ever met someone and they've come up to you and they've put out their hand to shake it, your hand. And uh, some people, when they get hold of your hand, you think, that's a handshake. And sometimes when you get hold of a hand, you think, is that a wet fish I'm holding? You know, it's, it's a useless sort of handshake, you know. And then some people, I once had to go to Warsaw just after the communists came down. We were taking aid over to Poland and we went across. And when I got out, out came this pastor. I forget his name now. Colette will remember it. But anyway, he's there. Big beard, big man, big arms. And I put out my British hand to give him a handshake. And he put out his Polish arms to give me a hug. And when he'd finished hugging me, I thought, that was a hug. (laughs) (laughs) Friends, we're not to give God a kind of wet fish handshake or even a firm British thing. We're meant to get a bit sort of I nearly said charismatic about it, but you know what I mean. (laughs) A great hug. We're meant to embrace God in our prayers, praying earnestly. Now, the second thing that we learn from this passage is that we need to go and pray 
expectantly. You'll see in the free book that you've received from uh, ten of those who've kindly given them and we've all been able to take them, you'll see that when it comes to this passage, I had a sneak preview just in case I was wrong in preaching. You see, And it says they, they were praying but not believing there would be an answer. So they're praying very specifically. I think that uh, we need to learn to pray more specifically. Sometimes I have a sort of weird kind of imagination. And uh, I imagine sometimes what it must be like in heaven when the prayer meetings are going on and someone's saying, Oh Lord, bless, bless the church. And, and, and bless the families in the church and, and uh, uh, bless the people in our community. And I think someone in heaven would lean over and say, How? How do you want them blessed? Have you thought enough about the situation so that you can actually ask for something specific? When Peter was in prison, I'm sure they weren't saying, Oh Lord, please give him a comfortable night. Please keep him warm and safe. Please make sure the guards give him a good hearty three-course meal tonight and a cup of tea. They didn't have tea then, but you know what I mean. But the point is, I'm sure they weren't praying that. They were saying, Lord, what's going on? Please deliver him. Please don't let Peter now get killed like... And so it goes on. They, it focused their minds so that they could actually say, Lord, please. We, when the government was... Uh, changing the law on relationships and marriage. We're all praying about that. But what do you pray for about Christian families in our communities? When teenagers are going to university, what do you pray for? Do you pray earnestly and specifically? Do you pray expectantly that as you plead with God that teenagers going to university will not start drinking will not get involved in uh, harmful relationships, will not just go the way of the world, will not take up theatre going and all the other things that uh, go along with it and get along to discos and nightclubs and the rest of it is so damaging to their purity and their principles. Do you pray and expect that as a result of it, young people will be guarded and will be kept because you've asked God and God is kind. He hasn't asked you to ask him for things in order that he can say, okay, I heard that, but I'm not going to do anything about it. It's evident that the Lord has said, ask and you shall receive. We need to pray expectantly. Now they were assembled together. And that's important. So much private Christianity around today and we forget we need to get together. There's something about the Amen of the prayer meeting that is significant. When with one heart, one mind, one purpose, we've listened to the prayer and when the Amen is said, we actually mean it. We are agreeing and we're saying that's what I want as well. That's what we in concert want. You know, the Bible tells us to give ourselves to prayer, to pray without ceasing. And when we get there, to pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In the Old Testament, in the Psalms, we're told, Daniel, uh, in, in Daniel, we're told, right from his very earliest days, when he was a very young person, three times in the day he stopped to pray. Breakfast, dinner and tea. 
whenever it was, perhaps it was after breakfast, or perhaps it was bought before, like it used to be with so many, Bible before breakfast, and these sorts of things that people used to say. But whenever it was, three times, it was his habit. He wasn't a legalist, you know. He just knew that he had this helpful habit of three times each day. But David beat him. I don't know if they had this competition between themselves. But David, he said, seven times a day, you'll hear my voice. Well, they were assembled. Here they are, not just privately praying, but prayer meetings. I remember when I got to Milnrow, sorry, is this being taped or whatever? But so... Please don't send a copy to anyone in Milnrow. But when I, when, I, when I arrived in Milnrow, I can remember somebody said, oh, we're so glad you come, we want ministry. And I thought, well, you're in for a bad time. But anyway, after that, they said, because all we've had is prayer meetings. Oh, I was so discouraged. Anyway, if they came back now, they left eventually, of course. But they, if they came back now, they would discover we have Three ministry meetings, just as we had before. But instead of three prayer meetings a week now, we have ten. So if they came back, it would be even worse for them if they came. Because we, have, we long to be a praying church daily, bringing all the needs before the, the people. So that in, in, at the moment, each working day and on the Lord's Day and at various other times, there are gatherings when anyone can come and pray. But they were assembled and they were asking, they were, they gathered together, they saw the value of this prayer meeting, but they were also astonished in their, uh, in the answer they received. They asked and it's quite apparent they did not expect that door knocking to take place. They didn't expect it. They didn't realize how God might just answer them. I love that in, uh, 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 in Ephesians where it says that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. In other words, we're meant to ask at this level and expect at that level, not this level. Have you ever thought about that? We sort of ask for this and we think, well, we've asked for that and we might get down here a little something, a little token of the answer. But that part of Ephesians tells us to ask at this level as much as we can and expect much more. That's how we're meant to pray expectantly and to look for the answers to our prayers. wonder... Do you keep a prayer diary? If you keep a prayer diary, do you actually record what you prayed, not just who you pray for? I've started now keeping a prayer diary in which I record exactly what I pray. And that means I record the words that I used and, I write it by the way, and it means that I can read what I prayed for Certain people and certain situations. And that means I know if something happens, I'm going to look back and say, did I ask for that? Because if I did, it's an answered prayer. It must have been so tragic for some people who said, God answered their prayers. Have you ever thought how sad that is to have to say it? God answered your prayers. 
And inside you're thinking, but you didn't answer mine because I didn't ask for it. I wasn't at the prayer meeting. Go to the prayer meetings. Go and learn to pray expectantly. I've put the word learn in there because the disciples had a bad time of it. I like Luke chapter 11 verse 1. It says, now, when Jesus was praying, when he stopped, they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now that tells me something. Jesus, who's perfect and pure and holy and good and strong and all the rest of it, prayed. And Peter and his mob, who are weak and helpless and ignorant and daft at times and made the most foolish decisions and argued with each other and were proud and hostile in spirit, they didn't, they didn't pray. But at least they saw they needed to. Go and learn to pray. The Lord helps us to do it. So they're astonished. Here they are, absolutely staggered by the way the Lord answers prayer. My mother prayed for my sister all her life since my sister came when she was seven she was adopted she came into our house she prayed for me she had she and a friend prayed for me for 18 months Uh, every day she and her friend got together when i went astray and they met together and they prayed that i would be saved And then on the 22nd of February 1971, I went to a Young Life Bible study on quite a difficult topic, (laughs) quite a controversial topic, and in that one hour, I realised there is a God. I've got a problem because of that, and God has got the answer in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. I realised it. I went home just a... A year or so ago, my brother went to the church at uh, Milnrow and uh, he was asked, when David came home and said he'd got saved, what did you think? And he said, we just thought it was another one of his pranks. And then, of course, they're astonished. Now, my sister makes me look like a saint, even when I was unsaved. But my sister, she, she did many, many things in her youth. And then she settled down and she's gone. But she's been as hard as nails. Her son died about a couple of years ago, I suppose. And then my mother has been ill and has died. And she's, my mum prayed for her and for all of us, all her, all her life since we were born, if you like, since Kim came. And then... In my mother's dying, we shared our testimony with Kim again, yet again. And suddenly she's woken up. Suddenly she's concerned. Suddenly. And we're all going, he said, mate, I can't believe it. Mum prayed for her. Dad's prayed for her. We've prayed for her. And now God has answered her prayer and she's woken up at the age of 50, waking up to the things of God. And we're all going, I can't believe it. That's what we're like, isn't it? We plead with God. He answers and we say, can't believe it. But they were assured. Peter continued knocking. He comes in and he says, stop it, stop it, stop it. He's, he's quieting them down. He says, what happened? How did it go? How did, you know, they all want to know the story. And Peter says, just be calm. God did it. 
That's what you need to know. It was God. He intervened. He sent an angel. The story is amazing. And he reassures them and then he gets away to calm the situation. And they're then assured, we prayed and God answered our prayer. Imagine how that church, how that gathering of believers felt about prayer after that. Don't you think the net, they didn't say, oh, well, that's it then. No need to pray anymore. Think of all the things they might think. Well, we need to pray about this then. Let's get some answers on this issue and on this issue and on this person. We know someone who's as hard as nails. Let's pray for them and see God change their heart. We know a situation which seems impossible and, and, and uh, you know, it seems that it can never be altered. It seems to be set in stone. But let's pray and say to the Lord, Lord, do something about it. Prove that you are God. That's the type of way in which we bring arguments to God that he might honour his name and honour his son by displaying his power mightily. Learn to pray expectantly. But the third thing is go and learn to pray effectively. And we see that in verses 17 to 19. Because Peter could say, the Lord brought me out. They prayed for something and they prayed until they prayed. Isn't that interesting? I've been urged to do that many times in my Christian life. Pray until you pray. And... I think we all know something of that, don't we? We've got limited time and we take a little bit of time to begin our prayer time and by the time we've gone through the list we've made and often we make quite long lists for every day, don't we? And there's all these people we think we should pray for and we really have only got time to say, and a bit like me when I was a little boy and I used to play, Dear Lord, please bless Mummy and Daddy, Nana and Grandad, Arthur, David, Stephen, Philip, Christine, Kim and the dog Cinders. Well, we had a dog then. I've since gone off them. But anyway, the point is, the point is, I wanted to get out of the cold, because we didn't have central heating, and get into my bed. Well, you may have work to go to, breakfast to eat, all kinds of things to do, and so you've got this list of people you're concerned about, but you feel you haven't got time, and so you just get through the list. Or how we need times when we get away to pray until we pray. I know folk can go out and walk. Now, I don't know how they are, but you know, when you get a bit intense about prayer, some people, they're, they're walking along by the canal like this. I know people, people who, as soon as they get to pray, it's almost as if you say, they're having the quiet time on the run, sort of thing, you know, because they're so intense as they pray. Others might just jaunt along and be aware they mustn't look a bit weird, but they're praying in their soul. They go somewhere quiet and walk. Other people have got the equivalent of what used to be called the closet, a place that's quiet, a place where they go, close the door, and that, while they're in there, no one troubles them. We need times, everyone here, We need times, whether you're an evangelist, a pastor, a member, about to be a student, you need times to learn to pray until you pray. 
because the issues we're praying for are massive. Evangelists falling into scandalous conduct, pastors going soft, preaching errors, becoming proud and covetous or adulterous, no missionaries going out, people desperate, they're saying we could reach all the unreached tribes in this generation because of what? We've now got the technology. But no missionaries, and those missionaries who go, live on pennies while we live on pounds. The issues before us are massive. And here's one. The servant of God was protected. Let's pray that God will do something so remarkable that our missionary societies cannot actually train and accommodate the people that are volunteering and giving up the rest of their life to serve in winning people who have never yet even realised they can pray through the name of Jesus because he died on the cross at Calvary. The other thing was the enemy of God was punished. God intervened at government level. God did something so that everybody knew God was displeased. It's the voice of a God and God struck him. There was an intervention where the world could see that this man who hated the church and who thought so much of himself was a man and God whisked him away into eternity. Now we can thank God that other enemies of God are actually blessed like Saul. He harassed the church of God And he took letters with him, he threw them into prison, and he tells us in his own testimony, he caused them to blaspheme. He made them deny the Lord and curse his name. So ferocious was he, God blessed him. Well, I don't know which way we pray for Dawkins, David Attenborough, others like them, the new evangelists of atheism and the rest of it, the Muslims with their some of them with their aggression and their, the sheer pride that comes across. Others who are advancing their causes. What shall we pray? Well, let's pray and pray and pray until we see these interventions, some of them in mercy and some of them in judgment, perhaps. The last thing was that the word of God was proclaimed. And that's the most significant thing here that the outcome of this prayer meeting is that the word of God, it said, so the word of God grew and multiplied. Do you pray through the week for the preaching of the gospel that goes on? Every day, open air missioners go out on the streets, don't they? Now, I don't know how many times a week Roger goes and preaches in different churches, or Gerard and uh, the others who go into prisons, speaking to hundreds of people. Don't know in your church what your pastors do, on the doors, on the streets. But each and every day there are evangelists. God has raised up his prophets to go out into the streets of Great Britain and to preach Christ every day. There is reason for us to preach 
to, to pray that the word of God will prosper and that it will be multiplied. And the idea here is not that more and more of it was preached, but more and more of it was effectively preached so that the people were turning to Christ, growing in grace, loving sanctification and progressing on. We need to pray. Backsliders need to pray and ask that the Lord will draw them back to himself. If you're a backslider, stop, pray. Begin there by saying to the Lord, Lord, my heart has been away from you. Bring it back. Bring me back. We need to pray because of the persecution of believers all over the world. It's estimated, I think, that nearly 200,000 believers are martyred Every year, that's the sort of estimate, I think, that Barnabas and others give to us. We need to pray how many widows, how many orphans need our prayers, though we don't know anything about them. You're going to face temptation today and tomorrow and the next day, every day of your life. You need to pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Churches are closing, aren't they? We need evangelists. We're actually told to pray that. Go and pray the Lord of the harvest that he will raise up people to go into that harvest to preach, to reap, to sow, to reap. We need pastors. How many churches are desperately looking for someone who will come and teach them? And then show them the way to reach their community. We need stability in Christian families. Christians breaking up. When I hear of supposedly a Christian man saying to his wife, well, if, if you don't like me as I am, divorce me. When people ring us up and say, could we uh, use your flat for a while? my fiancé and I, while we look for a house to live in, without a thought that that is an inappropriate thing pre-marriage. We need to pray because we need serious teenagers. Fun is one thing, but look at your Facebook page and tell me, are you a serious Christian who believes that for all eternity... Some people will bemoan the fact that you were not serious in soul winning and effective and did not give your life to the most important business of all. We do need to pray. Thank God for our prayer meetings. Thank him for them. Go to them. And when you get there, even though you're timid and even though you don't know really how to pray, go to learn to pray. Say to the Lord at the beginning of the prayer meeting, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. And teach me to pray earnestly. Teach me to pray expectantly. And teach me to pray Effectively.